The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you need. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Can you remember... A time in your life when you were shown mercy. A time in your life when you were shown mercy by someone else. Perhaps it was in a class. You were far behind for the semester and it looked like you would likely fail. And yet your teacher came to you after class one day and said, Come in and study with me. I'll help you make up the lost ground. I'll give you extra credit. You can do this. And you did it, and you passed the class. Or perhaps a time you were shown mercy was in a marriage or in a relationship, when you knew that you'd done something horribly, horribly wrong. And all you could do was apologize and beg for mercy from your partner. And instead of holding on to the anger and the hurt, 
your partner said, I forgive you. He or she showed you mercy and you moved on together. Or perhaps you've been shown mercy in your work environment. Perhaps there was a large mistake you made in your professional career. Something that if you had the chance to do it over again, you would do it totally differently. But instead of exacting and demanding a price for that mistake, your coworkers and your colleagues helped you to overcome it, to work around it, and you grew together as a team. Think of a time in your life when you were shown mercy. Take a moment and think about a specific time. I'm not going to ask you to share this one this week because these are vulnerable stories, right? Vulnerable stories. Maybe afterwards you want to share with someone close. But as you think on that, what were emotions? I think we can share this part. What were some emotions that you experienced when you were shown mercy? Is anybody willing to share an emotion? Relief. Relief. That's the number one thing I think of, right? Relief. Mm-hmm. Anybody else willing to share? Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, gratitude. Deep gratitude. Mm-hmm. I think a lifting, a lightening of the spirit, right? Joy at the grace of God and how the grace of God can work in so many different aspects of our lives to bring healing, to bring wholeness. A second chance, right? An opportunity to redeem yourself. So maybe you found in that gift of mercy an eagerness to go back to the work at hand and a renewed passion to work harder at whatever it was you were working on, whether in that school capacity, relationship, work, whatever it might be. Mercy. Well, our reading from Luke for today contains what's likely the most famous parable, right? I can't think of one that is more famous than this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm guessing that most of you in this room, even before you arrived here this morning, if someone asked you to relay the story of the Good Samaritan, you could have made a pretty valiant effort, right? You probably have this one down by heart, close to by heart, right? It's one that's dear to our hearts. And there's lots of organizations named after it, right? Hospitals and social service agencies and even laws, right? There are Good Samaritan laws that we have as well. Because it's a beautiful story, right? It's neat and to the point, and it teaches us what it means to do good things for others, right? Don't be like the priest or the Levite and cross by on the other side of the road, but be like the Good Samaritan and reach out with compassion, right? But really, I wonder if this is all there is to the story, right? I mean, every time that we look a little bit closer with Jesus's parables, we find something deeper beneath the surface, which is what makes parables such a wonderful thing that Jesus offers to us. They're like diamonds. You can see a different facet each time that you read these parables. 
Because I think if it was just as simple as that kind of basic morality story, then the Samaritan would likely be the one that would have ended up in the ditch, right? Then it would have fit neatly into that category because we would have learned that you're supposed to reach out to the person who's downtrodden and in need, right? But here's the tricky thing is the Samaritan is also one who's in need in this story. Because Samaritans, for those of you who don't know, were a group of people that were excluded by the powerful of the day. They were excluded by the religious hierarchy in Jerusalem. Why? Because they worshipped in the wrong place. That's why. Uh, Getting into the history of Israel and Judah, they worshipped in the northern kingdom, and the Jews of the southern kingdom thought that this was wrong because Scripture had taught you were supposed to worship where? In Jerusalem, right? And they didn't do that. And so they were considered to be lesser by those godly Jews who worshipped, continued to worship in Jerusalem. They had a really bad reputation. And they had intermarried with the people in uh, northern Israel that weren't Jewish. And so that further kind of diminished their status in Jesus' day. So it's pretty incredible that, I guess, the Samaritan isn't the one in the ditch because that's sort of the story you're looking for, right? Is how we're supposed to reach out to those in need and we're supposed to lift them up. And in fact, we, we see this idea about the Samaritan played out in that we call him the good Samaritan, right? As if there's only one, right? <laughs> of all the Samaritans, there can only be one good Samaritan, right? Does Jesus call him the good Samaritan? Look back in your uh, scripture reading. Does Jesus call him the good Samaritan? Nope. Jesus just says the Samaritan was passing by on the other side of the road, right? Well, let's look a little deeper at this parable. Beginning at the start of our reading, a lawyer, a lawyer stands up to test Jesus, is what it says, to test Jesus. You always know you're in dangerous territory when you start trying to test Jesus, right? And he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know what he has to do to get something, right? And this was the very kind of thing Jesus came to teach against. It isn't supposed to be about what we must do, right? The whole point of Jesus coming was to teach us instead about what we want to do, what we are motivated to do, impassioned to do. And when Jesus asks him then what is written in the law, the lawyer responds saying that the law teaches us to love, right? The law teaches us to love God and to love our neighbors. But we all know that love as legislated probably isn't as good or as worthy as love freely given, right? Without regard to what one might get. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, think back to that example you had of someone showing you mercy Do you think that person showed you mercy in order to follow the law? Or did that person show you mercy because they were passionate about giving you a second chance? Because they were showing you love freely, right? Probably most likely the latter, although I I acknowledge that sometimes it could be the first. 
Well, when the lawyer responds to Jesus that the law teaches us to love God fully and to love our neighbors as ourselves, do you see what Jesus says? I love these words. He says, yes, do that and you will live, right? Because the law is a gift to teach us how to live fully and completely. Do that and you will live. You will live the best life you've ever had if you can love God and you can love neighbor. But of course, the lawyer continues to want to specify, right, and get to the heart of these things. So he says, well, who's my neighbor, right? I want to know the details here. Exactly who am I supposed to love? What's the fine print on this? How do I know, right? I I need the black and white answer. And Jesus this time responds to the lawyer with this famous parable. In this parable, a man is journeying on a road that is known to have a lot of bandits on it. So he knew he was in a bad part of town, if you will. We don't hear much about the man himself who ends up in the ditch, right? It's very nondescript about who this person is. We really don't know anything about him other than that he gets robbed. He gets even stripped of his clothes. He gets beaten and he's left half dead on the side of the road. And then three characters enter the picture, and this part never fails to sound like a three guys walked into a bar joke to me, right? (laughs) But who are these three guys? Well, first is a priest. That's a holy person, right? Crosses by on the other side. The second is a Levite who's from what's considered the holiest of all the tribes in Israel. He passes by on the other side as well. Quite a condemnation for people of my ilk wearing these robes on Sunday mornings. These, we are the groups of people that are walking by, right? The religious elite. So we know then that it's the Samaritan man, this outcast, who ends up coming near. That's what, he, that's what our passage says too. There's so many beautiful gems in the writing of this scripture passage. He comes near to him and he's moved with pity, right? And instead of passing by, instead of avoiding, instead of going the other direction, he's brave enough to go up to him, to be near him, to see him, to see what he needs. He bandages his wounds, he pours oil and wine on them, he puts him on his own animal, and he takes him to get help. And he even gives the innkeeper money as much as he needs to make sure that this man is well. So does Jesus ever answer the question that the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? He never explicitly answers it, does does he? Instead, Jesus in this parable completely reframes the lawyer's question. He totally transforms it. He doesn't ask if the man in the ditch qualifies as a neighbor according to the Jewish law and scriptures, but instead, look with me at verse 36 if you have your readings open, Jesus asks, which, he asks the man back, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? What Jesus is getting at isn't about who is my neighbor, but instead he asks, who are you a neighbor to? Who are you a neighbor to? Instead of looking at others and determining if they meet the requirements to be our neighbor, Jesus instead asks us to point the finger back at ourselves to focus on who we are. Are we neighbors or are we not neighbors? Do we show mercy as we have been shown mercy? 
Think about how much that man in the ditch needed the Samaritan to be a good neighbor to him. I mean, imagine putting yourself in that man's shoes. You are lying there, blood running from your body. You're in deep physical pain. Everything has been taken from you, so you have no resources, right, to address the problems that you're facing. You are literally at the mercy of the next person who passes by. And as people pass by, one and then another, and instead of helping you, they go to the other side of the road, you begin to resign yourself to the possibility that no one may help you, that you may be left in this situation all alone. So I'm wondering if someone finally did come to you that was willing to help you, how much would you care whether the person that was helping you worshipped at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem versus whether they worshipped at a mountain in northern Israel? Would that matter to you if they were willing to lift you out of that ditch and bandage your wounds and take you to safety? Would you ask them for their credentials before they did these things for you? Would you ask them about their ethnicity or their religious practice or their economic standing or what they were wearing or what they did for a living or any other way that we define ourselves over and against one another? Would any of those details matter to you or would you just say help? Give me some water, give me some bandages, help me. Jesus, in his great wisdom, so much wisdom, turns the lawyer's question on its head. He challenges the lawyer to switch his focus from others to himself instead. How do we do the same? How do we as a community of faith transform ourselves into neighbors? How do we show mercy? This parable really is misnamed. Instead of being called the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think it should be called the parable of the good neighbor, for that is what the hero of our story truly is. In trying to live like that Samaritan, good Samaritan, we are called not to define who our neighbor is, but instead we are called to define ourselves as neighbors to all whom we meet in need. Amen.